Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The Secret Cabinet. Hello and welcome to The Secret Cabinet. I am, as always, your humble translator, Travis Dow from the History of Germany. And this show is created by Der Budler. And today's topic, execution by marriage. We find ourselves in the year 1561. A certain citizen of Cologne with name Tilman Isenhaupt gets into an argument with his bookkeeper over what exactly is unclear, but it ends with a massive street brawl around the Kölner Dom, the cathedral in Cologne. There are up to five or six casualties. I reckon it was whether certain books were also available as an e-book. Sorry, it's an insider joke. But Isenhaupt is charged with disturbing the public and causing bodily harm, and so he was taken to court and sentenced to death through the gallows. Suddenly, two young women appear in front of the court and proclaim that they wanted the young man for themselves as, like, to marry. And so she promised to marry him if he would obviously not be killed. They called upon an old legal precedence, namely that newlywed couples should be banned from the city, so therefore kind of saving his life. And even though the judges agreed to this, uh, apparently there was something worse than the fate of death for young Tillman, and countered the marriage proposal with a gesture that basically meant you can slide down my backside. And so, the execution is planned to proceed, but the people had heard of the offer of the two um, young women and pushed for the judge to kind of delay the punishment. The executioner himself even tried to deny the job. I can't do it and will not do it, was a quote from him. And so let's leave this tumultuous scene for a minute and concentrate of the actual job description itself of the executioner. The title or job as such didn't exist in the European Middle Ages until the 13th century. Before that, the community got their hands dirty themselves. In many areas, it was usually the youngest married man in a village community, or in the case of rape, the victim herself. And in some cases, even the condemned themselves. Emperor Barbarossa spared the life of one of a group of bandits but that one had to then execute the other 11. But in the High Middle Ages, we start to see judges acting as executioners. They basically take it upon themselves to commit the sin of murder on behalf of the community. At first, this was actually seen with as something done with high honor, even though it was a somewhat sacrilegious work. And so like in the Saxon law, may the people without sin do the punishing and killing. Since he's doing God's work, and punishing the sinner on his behalf, so he shall not get God's wrath. 
And so, you judge that takes matters into his own hands, may you be just, because then you will be called holy. And in the same law, it gives people the same right that if 10 people are executed or for every 10th person executed, the 10th one is spared. But because the whole act itself is taboo, the dealing of this taboo matter through time keeps getting associated closer and closer to the person doing it himself. And so the job of executioner gets more and more tabooized and even feared. Since the 14th century, they added more and more unsightly tasks to the judge executioner, which kept making the job kind of less and less honorable, which meant the community started to shun them more. Like, for instance, the task of collecting animal cadavers, human corpses, interrogation under torture, cleaning of dungeons, removing stray animals, and even creating pyres and scaffolds the executioners had to do themselves. And even dealing with the executioners became kind of ta tabooized. They had to live outside of the city walls. They could only marry inside of their own families, like, you know, the, the daughters could marry the sons of other executioners. And the sons, of course, had to take the job of the fathers. And in, some, in fact, sons would be trained at a pretty young age to start uh, beheading things behind the house. And even in your everyday life, you couldn't approach them too close. Touching an executioner could have fatal consequences. One worker in Basel was kicked out of the guild for having contact with an executioner. An innkeeper lost his property because when trying to help a carriage who had had an accident, he had touched the same rope that the executioner had also used. Even the family names were tabooized. Even the personal names and title kind of became taboo, so that an executioner might be kind of generalized as Master Hans or Master Fix, and the title itself got a kind of a euphemistic treating, namely as the Fear Man, the Ouch, the Dull Man, the Field Master, the Short Off. A lot of these come from German, by the way, guys, so if they don't make sense in English, that's okay. But there's several. But anyway, you wouldn't have to say the actual word executioner. Now, it kind of goes without saying that the combination of the kind of bloody nature of the job and the extreme isolation by some of the executioners led to all kinds of diverse neuroses. Some were depressed or had like nervous tics or kind of OCD behavior like a compulsion to wash. But money tried to kind of emotionally or mentally work through their situation. The executioners themselves often used poetic terms to kind of describe what they were doing. Like to tie a fine knot meant to hang somebody. To brand somebody was to draw upon them. And tying someone up to the wheel was taking a leisurely bike ride. But many executioners did have a professionalism around them and tried to spare unnecessary suffering of their victims. And so death could actually also be quickened. For example, by hiding combustible sulfur in the pyre in order to hasten suffocation. Or one of the worst sentences you could get, which was the wheel, in which a heavy wheel, which you were tied to, broke every single bone in your body. And by strangling the victims first, they could save them from the worst torment. For every swing of a hand, the executioner got paid and often was also allowed to keep the clothes of the executed. But any money found would usually go to the judges. And even though the executioners themselves were usually avoided, the event of an ex execution would be something that one would not want to miss. 
They came by the thousands to watch executions. Alone in London, once 40,000 attendees were counted. Before the days of mass entertainment through TV and sports, executions were basically the entertainment of the day. It was treated like any other traditional German Volksfest. In Bavaria, during the event, for example, you could buy something called a scaffoldwurst, like scaffold sausage, and foaming drinks were, of course, on tap. These events were sometimes run with a lot of dignity, and sometimes could work out to be basically a power demonstration of the leaders of the region. In Cologne, we see in bright colored robes, judges, executioner, and delinquent in a procession under the clanging of bells from the cathedral, which is also where the courthouse and the execution square was. In the cathedral court, the executioner would shove the sentenced criminal towards the so-called blue stone and said the words, which rhyme in German, so I'll, I'll read you the German too. Wir müssen dich an den blauen Stein, du küsst Dinger, Vada und Mutter, nit heim. Which is kind of dialect for, um, we have to get you to the blue stone. You will never again kiss your mother or father at home. And in a somewhat theatrical manner, the final act on the scaffolds where a strict dialogue was to be followed. So, for example, the executioner would say, Dear Lord, forgive me that I must do this. It deeply sorrows me. Where then the sentenced person would answer, Only do that which is commanded of you. But it didn't always run that smoothly. Some kind of had something against being executed, and even had the audacity to defend themselves with all their might. One executioner had his nose bit off. In fact, wounds were basically a common occurrence. But probably the most toughest handicap of the executioner were his own nerves. The fear of a failed execution, like missing the neck, or even getting cursed or the evil eye from the victim. And last but not least, the potential anger of the mob. Many executioners had to drink up their courage to face this whole situation, but a job well done was applauded by the crowd, like in the case of an executioner from Nuremberg of the late Middle Ages, who had, with a single stroke of the sword, not only cut clear through the neck of the delinquent, but in the same stroke had also split a bouquet of flowers which he was holding into. And another time, when he beheaded two people at the same time, the sword purred right through them, and everyone praised him. And in case you've watched too many medieval movies, forget that part about the executioner's hood. That never actually existed. It also wouldn't have been very practical, since the executioners were known. But if ever some of the executioners wore a black towel, which didn't make the person anonymous, but much more protected the executioner from the evil eye or just angry glances of the to-be-executed. And speaking of superstitions, even if you didn't want to have anything to do with the executioner officially, you still secretly called on his services because the executioners, through their knowledge of anatomy, kind of counted as the better doctors of the Middle Ages. Because unlike the doctors of the time, they actually knew what the inside of people looked like. The opening of cadavers for medicinal purposes, like for regular doctors, was basically unchristian and also forbidden at the time. But executioners didn't even really need to wait until death in many cases before they cut somebody open. And they had a trick or two up their sleeves to torture the delinquent and yet still keep them alive for a little bit longer. And some of the executioner's tools, like pieces of a hangman's rope 
or even a little souvenir from the executed himself. Things like this were believed to have almost magic-like properties. A thief's thumb, some pubic hair or saliva of a woman executed on the scaffolds could only be gotten from an executioner. And next to the scaffolds, there were often cup-carrying epileptics because the fresh blood of an executed person was thought to help against it. With industrialization, the special jobs and tasks of the executioners finally disappeared. And with the abolishment of the death penalty, in most places, the job itself. In Germany, the death penalty was abolished in 1949 in West Germany and in East Germany in 1987. Officially, West Berlin still had the death penalty until the fall of the wall for the crime of possessing banned weapons. And a little bit late was also Bavaria, where the death penalty still stuck around in the Constitution until it was finally put to a vote and officially gotten rid of in 1998. But before one starts yelling at the Bavarians, as unbelievable as it sounds, one should first look at the Hessian Article 21 of their state constitution. If someone, if someone is found guilty for a punishable offense, he may be, quote, under extremely bad crimes, condemned to death, end quote. Excuse me? But don't worry, that's just a formality. Since federal right goes before state right, this paragraph is without consequence, and no Hessian judge has ever tried to use it. The Hessian constitution is older than the basic law, and came to be in the same time like in West Berlin and Bavaria, in the times of the Allied occupation, and under the influence of the horrors of the Second World War. With the creation of the Grundgesetz, the German law 1949, this paragraph was obsolete. And since to get a paragraph stricken through an election, like in Bavaria, did take quite some doing, but it's still in there. But still, nothing changes. And there's also nobody in Germany that still has the job of an executioner. The last German executioner, Johann Reichert, quit his job in 1946. If we're unfortunate, we might have a resurrection of the job. In a questionnaire of law students from Erlangen and Constance, the result was pretty scary. A third of those questions were for bringing the death penalty back, and half were okay with torture as long as certain conditions were met. May the executioner take them. But now back to the events in Cologne from the beginning of the episode, where we had the delinquent Isenhaupt on the scaffolds, who it seems was set on dying a bachelor. There's even a small scuffle between Isenhaupt and the executioner, who, even though he doesn't want to, now has to do his duty. At the same time, part of the audience that's on the side of Isenhaupt starts throwing mud and stones at the executioner, because the situation has already gone far enough, and they might even have to commit a murder themselves. And while in all the commotion, one farmer runs up and cuts the noose, frees Tillman, Isenhaupt, and escapes with him through the cheering crowd. What happened to him after, unfortunately, the sources don't say. And also not whether the two women w willing to marry did eventually find their own bridegrooms. Because presumably some men do exist that would rather go to the altar than to the gallows. Supposedly. The Secret Cabinet is a member of the Agora Podcast Network. This month, the podcast of the month is Royfield Brown's Ten American Presidents. I highly recommend it. It has... The episodes are done by great history podcasters like Mike Duncan and Dan Carlin. And the German version of this show, Das Geheime Kabinett, is a member of Die Kastronauten. Even 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.